Hello and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 295 of the podcast. I have a fantastic guest for you today. My guest is Kate Swoboda, better known as Kate Courageous. <laughs> Kate is the creator of YourCourageousLife.com, director of Courageous Living Coach Certification at TeamCLCC.com, and author of The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release the Past, and Live Your Courageous Life. In this conversation, I learned that so much of what actually holds us back in our life is fear. It may present differently and we may not be able to on the outside attribute it to fear, but really, when you think of the things that are really holding you back, um, stopping you from stepping out, trying something new, helping our kids, owning the good job you're doing as a parent, fear, 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 fear is the root. And if you can live a more courageous life, That is the secret to so many things. And she has a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change that will help you to develop that courage habit. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate today. It was so much fun. And I hope that you become a little bit more courageous after this episode. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Kate Swoboda today. Hi, Kate. Hey there. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here. I'm so excited about this conversation we're about to have. Where am I speaking to you from today? You know, currently I'm in Sonoma County, which is outside of San Francisco. Beautiful. I'm actually moving in a couple months. So are you? uh, Everything's in a kerfuffle at the moment. Okay. How do you feel about moving? Oh, that's such a good question. So it's it's hugely mixed. It's definitely complicated by having a kid because it's it's got the, you know, I've got my own, you know, will I be happy there stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also like, will my kid be happy? How's my kid going to do making new friends and all that stuff? Um, lots of ups, lots of downs. We're leaving California. We're going to Las Vegas and... Um, I think it's going to be really great in a lot of ways. And then I'm also just like, you know, Northern California is its own special place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've moved a lot. And in fact, I did a whole episode on on moving um, on the 3 and 30 podcast where I talked about three takeaways for, for moving with joy, I think was the title or something, because you're so right. How old is your uh, child? She's five. Five. Okay. What I found when my kids were really little is that it was way more about me assimilating and me making friends, me making friends for my kids and everything, right? But then as they get older, like I told you before the call, my oldest just turned 10 and we moved last year, as recently as last year, last December. And this last move has been so hard because I felt like it takes about six months to kind of find your new norm, settle in, get on people's radar. Even if you're outgoing and trying your best to make friends and and be a part of the community, it takes about six months, even with proactivity. It just is. So just like put that in your mind and don't stress about moving that timeline up faster. But what I found was the last move, the first six months were really focused on helping the kids 
transition and helping them connect and everything um, because they were way more selective of their friends and their teams and their activities and things. It wasn't just like, sign them up, get them in, you know, here, let's have a play date. There's way more to it. And so as I'm managing those emotions, about nine months after the move, I found myself kind of reverting back to a a depression almost where it was like I had been stuffing my own um, emotions and needs and everything for six to nine months as I helped my kids transition. And then surprisingly, that nine months to a year later, it was like, why am I struggling? We've been here a year. Why is the struggle happening now? And I think it was because I was neglecting myself. So make sure you prioritize both your kid and yourself during that transition. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you today. We're going to talk about courage, which is a great topic to talk about in light of moving someplace new and facing new things with, with courage. So for people that don't know you yet, Kate, you're known as Kate Courageous. What? How did you get that name? And tell me a little background on yourself and your family. Um. Well, so Kate, you know, Kate Courageous, it was you know, a couple years ago, actually, it's it's funny. It, it used to be a couple years ago when I tell the story, and now it's like a long time ago. You know, because <laughs> I'm an internet dinosaur, and I've been a coach since 2006. So that was a, a a moniker that came about in 2009 when I really made the connection that, um, first of all, the the common themes that surround courage are are. I, in my humble opinion, completely wrong. You know, there's often this idea that you got to kick fear's ass or you got to get rid of fear in order to be a confident and courageous person. And that just was never bearing out in my experience. And in fact, if I read anything about people who by all conventional measures we would define as successful, they were always talking about, you know, the times when they fell down and got back up, the times when they failed and what they learned from it, the times when they were freaking out and somehow made their way through. So it was like these people didn't become successful because they had it all figured out and just like danced off into the horizon with courage and confidence. They were actually people who were practicing a skill set with their fear. And over and over, what I kept seeing was that um, they didn't let fear, what fear was saying, define their next move. They worked with fear, and they didn't need to make it wrong. And then at the same time, I was also reading a lot of Buddhism and Buddhist psychology, and it was really um, just making a lot of sense to me that the paradox was that the more we were able to be with something, the less control that thing had over us. But the more we pushed it away, the more control it had over us. And then, um, so I just started talking my talking my my mouth off about all of that, and Kate Courageous emerged. And I, you know, I've been asked before when Brene Brown came onto the scene and started talking about shame and how the more you are convinced that you don't have shame, the more it runs your life. And there's clinical research to support that. The more I was like, yeah, I'm I'm feeling vindicated here because it's just shame, fear, whatever you want to call it these feelings of I can't, I'm not enough, I'm not capable, I should be better. However it shows up in your head, the more people think, oh, no, 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 I don't have that issue. Oh, no, 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 no. I just I just need to like recite an affirmation and I'm all good. The more that ends up controlling people behind the scenes. And so we actually just need to look at the fear and own like, yeah, I'm afraid. I get afraid, um, but it doesn't have to run my life. And that, in fact, is courage. 
Hey everybody, I know you're loving this conversation with Kate, but I wanted to thank a show sponsor and that is Cosmetology. Cosmetology was created by Dr. Janice Covey, a mom who was frustrated when her youngest daughter was diagnosed with eczema at three months old and she really noticed a lack of effective, affordable, organic products available on the market that actually worked, right? We've all been there. And that's where she used her background as a pharmacist to make her own line of products for her children. You guys, these products are so unique. They have lotion bars. Have you even heard of a lotion bar? I hadn't, but a lotion bar is a solid moisturizer that contains effective organic moisturizing ingredients such as shea butter and olive oil, but it doesn't contain water, which eliminates the need for alcohol and potentially other hazardous preservatives and chemicals and things. And what I love about it is that because it's not liquid, I can hand it to my son after his bath. And even at four and a half years old, he can put it on himself. And it's actually a really great sensation for his skin. He really struggles with eczema. And I've noticed a huge difference since he's been using this lotion bar by Cosmetology. So, so cool. And you can travel with it really easily because it's a solid, it can't spill, TSA approved. So good. Also, in this age of sanitize, 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 their hand soaps are fantastic. So you want to wash your hands safely, right? But you also want to get rid of the germs. These hand soaps by Cosmetology are available in five essential oil infused scents, and they really are just the perfect hand soap for the whole family. So I would love for you to try Cosmetology. I'm so glad I found this brand, especially when the shelves are wiped clean at Target of other brands that I don't actually know what's in those ingredient labels, right? Cosmetology has a great offer for our listeners. For first time purchasers, you can receive 15% off. To get 15% off your first order, go to cosmetology.com. That's K-O-S-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y.com and use code E-E-P at checkout. Thank you so much to Cosmetology for sponsoring the show and I hope you'll pick up some of their incredible products. Now let's get back to it with Kate. That is such an interesting way of looking at it. And I think what makes this topic especially tricky is that when you're talking about fear and the things that hold us back from stepping out with courage, it's that no two people experience things the same way. And fear will look different. The things you're afraid of looks different. Um, The things that you put weight on will vary from person to person and everything. And so having that not being able to be quantified gives you a very uncertain path forward, kind of. But you've really linked habits with courage. And I think that's the best approach to having some effort to make a tangible effort towards developing courage. Talk to me about that four-part process for behavioral organizational change and what's a courage habit? Mm, Oh, yay. My favorite topic. Um, (laughs) Well, and especially because, you know, you know, talking to someone who, and it, you know, there's an audience here of moms, it's, you know, the, the examples become very applicable very quickly. So I'll just start out by saying that, um, when any, you know, any mom who's listening to this right now, when your child was born, was your child born a people pleaser? Was your child born a perfectionist? Was your child born a pessimist? Was your child born self-sabotaging? No, of course not. So it's such a great relevant example. Like like nobody's born with any of these fear-based patterns. They are patterns that we learn through life, that we practice, that become habitual 
after they've been practiced enough and that unfortunately people then take on as identities. You actually hear people say, oh, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Oh, I'm such a people pleaser. And I understand the colloquialism of that and, and, and all that. I'm not saying somebody's bad if they make those statements. I'm just pointing out like, you know, it, nobody is those things. These are behaviors that we've adopted so long they become habits and then identities. So the good news is we actually are empowered to change them. So often fear will run on autopilot. Um, the, the common response of we just need to fight fear doesn't work. So what do we need to do instead if we want to change those behaviors and create courageous habits instead? We need to accept that, um, first of all, we got, we got to have an awareness of the fear-based patterns and I just described the four predominant ones that I've seen in clients and that emerged in my research for my book, The Courage Habit, people-pleasing, pessimism, perfectionism, and self-sabotage. And having identified what those patterns look like, what we want to do is we want to interrupt them. So it's not, oh, cool, I just won't do that perfectionism anymore. It's you'll do it again. And so now you're empowered to notice because you know what the pattern looks like and you can interrupt it and instead choose a behavior that you want to turn into a habit. Um, and the four behaviors that, again, emerged in the research as courageous behaviors, you could call them resilience-boosting behaviors, um, better adaptive patterns for stress, whatever label you want to put on them, they emerged as accessing the body, uh, checking out your limiting stories, so not getting attached to them, reframing those limiting stories, and also reaching out and creating community. And um, with us talking about some of these things, and, and especially this being a podcast for moms, I'll just share that many of these are very common um, strategies that probably a lot of moms are using at least some of for when their children are in distress. It's like I know with my own daughter, uh, you know, I don't know how conscious I would have been about this after uh, unless I'd read the research, but I'm, I'm really grateful because it's like when she is frustrated, she's learning her letters right now and she starts sounding out words and she gets tripped up on things like, well, is this K sound coming from a C or a K? And she gets mad at herself when she writes down the wrong letter. And it's just like, oh, the compassion, because she just doesn't know. She's just learning and she's frustrated. And it's like, you know, she'll sometimes cry out of frustration. And instead of making her wrong or telling her to calm down, which is such a common thing that we do with emotion, it's like, oh, sweetie, I understand. Let's take a breath together. That's accessing the body. So then we can extrapolate this to us as adults. How do you treat yourself when you make a mistake? And is that the, any way you would treat your own child? And, and when we start looking at that and looking at things through that lens, I, I feel like a, really a whole new world emerges. I think that is so, so wise. And I really believe so much of what we need to know is already within us, right? And then society and distraction and the busyness of life and all these things kind of pile on top. So sometimes we forget what our intuition is telling us and what our instincts and our wisdom, our true mother wisdom is trying to relay to us and try to get us to act out. But I mean, we've all had those precious, like almost sacred moments where we do something for a child 
and it works, right? We're able to express that compassion. We're able to de-escalate a situation with love and safety. And you're like, oh, oh, you know? And we may not have given it a lot of thought before we did the thing, but I think it's because we're all wired with that with that deep innate knowledge to, to do great things and to act with love and everything. And I think you were just so right that a lot of us work so deliberately and intentionally to do this with our kids. And then we act like it's not even a possibility for ourselves. And, and definitely like if we have to practice it for ourselves, then it's like too, too hard or something. I don't know. Why is our reflex not to do that for ourselves? Well, I just think it's because we've been doing it for so long. Yeah. It's 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 that it's hard to change a habit in the beginning and it's particularly hard again if someone just rushes to the new habit that they want instead of taking the time to go what's the habit that's like what's the current thing that's actually getting in the way. Mm. And so you just look at things like um you know, I, I look at things like listening without attachment to the voice of fear. Listening without attachment, it's not you just have to like grit your teeth and listen to what fear says and let it berate you or tell you that you're not enough. It's that you hear what it says, but you don't attach to it as truth and make your next move based on that. Again, kids are such a great example. You know, like raise your hand, moms, if your kid has ever said, I don't like you. <laughs> You know, and it's like, is your kid actually saying that? No, of course not. You know that. You know that you are talking to a human whose frontal lobe is not fully developed, whose emotional regulation strategies are not fully developed, and they have a limited skill set for coping with life stress, especially when they're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So let's take that to ourselves, okay? Your fear is a part of you that has a limited skill set. It is probably, I mean, we could, I, I think of fear, you know, the, as, as being a wound. And if your fear is a wound that has experienced harm in the past and developed coping strategies like perfectionism, which is basically, I got hurt in the past. If I can just be perfect, I won't get hurt again. Like people pleasing, which is, I got hurt in the past. If I can just make everybody happy with me, I won't be hurt again. These are limited coping strategies. So one, you don't want to take your next move based on limiting limited coping strategies. Second, you don't want to abuse someone, yourself or your child, if it has a limited coping strategy. Mm -hmm. So there are three common ways that people try to, to deal with fear. One is that they avoid it. One is that they placate it, trying to do life perfectly so that it won't come up. And then the other is that they attack it. Let's put this into the kid lens. Okay, if you have a kid who's throwing a temper tantrum and you lock them in a closet in order to ignore or avoid them, guess what, everybody, in case you didn't know before today's podcast, that's child abuse. And if you um, endlessly placate that child and try to set up a world where they are never upset, well, in the short term, that'll that'll work, air quotes. But in the long term, you're creating a kid who cannot deal with anything and who is not going to be equipped to to deal with the very real challenges of the times when life is not fair. So placating also doesn't work. That kicks the can out to another time. Attacking, again, if you were to start berating a child when they were throwing a temper tantrum, hitting them, 
again, we're talking child abuse. So, and this is very tender. So I really want to say like, again, we've all been taught some level of this. It's in the culture. It's the soup that we are all swimming in. So it's going to touch all of us. You're not an awful person if you have ever bought into this line of thinking because it was conditioned into you. The hope is you'll, you'll go, hey, the cycle stops with me because if you practice behaviors that are abusive, you're practicing abuse. So we got to stop that. We got to stop it with ourselves and we got to stop pretending that our kids don't see how we treat ourselves because our kids do. They see it in the body language. They see it in a lot of different areas. They see it in how we snap at our partners when we're really stressed out. And again, this is not about being perfect. It's about how do we shift it? So absolutely. Does my daughter ever see my husband and I when we get snappy with each other and da, 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 da? Yes. So again, it's not about how do we always uh, be perfect and try never to have an argument. It's more about how do we model for her how we clean it up? So my husband and I actually make a point, for instance, of sitting down with her when we've had an argument and going, yeah, daddy was pretty upset, huh? And she'll go, yeah. And I'll go, mommy was pretty upset, huh? And she'll go, yeah. And then we'll actually say, you know, both of us, you know, when we get grumpy, we say things that are not kind sometimes, and we don't want to do that. And we just talked about it. And daddy said, sorry. And mommy said, sorry. And now we're coming to you to just say, we're sorry that we were saying some things that were, were angry sounding, you know, Mm -hmm. and because we're trying to have that transparency around the fact that, adults don't do things perfectly nobody does really the best you can do in life is try to clean it up so that's just one example of um, ways that we're trying to interrupt the cycle of either um, completely succumbing to unconscious fear-based patterns or at the opposite spectrum trying to be like this Stepford family that does everything perfectly which of course kids are really smart they're gonna know Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in one more time and thank another show sponsor, and that is Pink Eye Relief. I don't know about you, but I literally dread a pink eye diagnosis. Knowing that I'm going to be quarantined to my home for days on end, and I can't take my kids out because of the shame of the pink eye, like I feel it so heavy, and I want to give you another option besides going and paying a ton of money for standard pink eye drops, okay? Pink Eye Relief Eye Drops and the new PM Ointment are made with 100% natural active ingredients that are safe for kids ages two and up. And the application is so much easier. No stinging or fussing during application, just soothing relief for common eye irritation such as redness, burning, watering, swelling, and more. Plus, this pink eye drop got won the 2020 Women's Choice Award as America's most recommended pink eye care. Trust me, you're going to want this in your first aid kit at home so that when pink eye hits, you are well prepared. So stay healthy naturally with pink eye relief from the Relief Products. It's available at Walgreens and you can visit www.thereliefproducts.com today and enter promo code EEP at checkout for 50% off on your order today. Offer expires June 1st. That's thereliefproducts.com. Enter promo code EEP for 50% off. Thank you so much to the Pink Eye Drop people for sponsoring this show. Picks them up today. Now let's finish up with Kate. And I think for the modeling portion of it, we have we have two goals as parents. One, we're trying to model the best we can healthy behavior, healthy habits, healthy courage, healthy coping, things like that. And then two, 
we're modeling the repair when things don't go well. We're modeling how to come back when we make a mistake, how to ask for forgiveness, how to be respectful of somebody else, how to, you know, make things right again and showing that there is coming back from all situations. There is that ability. And I think when we don't show that side of it and we're just trying to be Stepford parents, our kids are inevitably going to fail. And if they don't ever see us go through that process of what to do when you do make a mistake, how are they ever supposed to then show live out that modeling themselves and that process themselves? It's, it's unrealistic. And going back to how fear manifests itself too, I think it's really important to address that fear doesn't always look like fear. You know, when our kids are acting out and not wanting to go to school in the morning, they may not tell you, I'm afraid to go to school. It could just manifest itself as a tantrum, but maybe they're afraid of sitting at lunch uh, by themselves, or maybe there's a test they're really stressed out about, things like that. So fear can look a lot of different ways, but ultimately the root is that fear, that insecurity, right? That's holding them back. But it may look like anger. It may look like shyness. It may look like violence. It may look like a lot of different things, but the root is fear. So yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think too that, you know, these these four pieces with that I talk about in the courage habit. I mean, first of all, one of my clients, and of course I changed enough things with the profile that I put into the courage habit that there's no way it exactly resembles a real client. But one of my clients did end up using (laughs) kind of by accident, these parts with her kids when they were arguing. And it was so brilliant when she shared with me. So, you know, the parts are accessing the body, listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, reaching out and creating community. And it was like her kids were arguing one day and they were constantly looping her in on what the argument was and wanting her to play referee. And so instead of playing referee, after working with me on some of this stuff herself, she ended up going in and, and like when they were fighting, going, okay, everybody take a breath. And that was like accessing the body. And then, okay, each person what is it, you know, it's like a toy that everybody was arguing with, I believe. And like, what's each person wanting to do with this toy? So that's the listening without attachment. And then the reframing of the limiting story was, you know, basically teasing out. So are you thinking that you can't all play with the toy together? That's a limiting thought, you know, Mm -hmm. that the kids are having that there's no way to play with the toy together or no system for sharing or taking turns. And then reaching out and creating community you know, could be looping an adult in, um, also could be, how do you guys have, you know, don't you guys have more fun playing together than you do apart? So, you know, that's just an example, but these are very applicable things. And I think that when we ourselves as moms are having like those awful mom days where, you know, it feels like everything's going wrong, that these always seem to precede everyone in, or, um, follow everyone in the house getting sick. That's like the worst. That's like ground zero, When everybody's sick and it's gone on for a month, it's like, okay, how do I access the body? Like maybe I just need to cry it out because everyone's been freaking sick for a month and that is a slog. Listening without attachment. My fear is telling me that I will never get caught up on work and that, you know, I like it's just, uh, okay, reframe that limiting story. I'm sure there's a way to get caught up on work. People, whole families get sick all the time and people get behind on work and somehow they make their way through 
reaching out and creating community. Maybe that's a hug with your partner. Maybe that's more snuggle time with your kids. Maybe that's calling up your friend and just being like, can, can I just talk to you for a minute? Can I just have 10 minutes to just talk about ways life sucks and you won't try to tell me it's better or it's going to get better or here's what I could do. Like, don't offer me solutions. I just need to like say the 10 things I'm pissed off about right now <laughs> and complain. Can I just do that? And you, you, you know, everybody knows who those friends are who are going to be like, yeah, girl, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there for you. Absolutely. And when you have those go-tos predetermined for what you know you can do when you get in one of these kind of states, it really helps because when you're in the moment, it just, you, it's paralyzing. So thinking of them ahead of time can be really, really helpful. And in the same way that fear can can manifest itself differently and look like different emotions, also uh, the, what the child or what we are actually afraid of can also be kind of masked by other things, right? And so I think it's a lot of times what I've seen with my own kids, I have a 10, 7, and 4-year-old, all boys, and what I've seen with them is usually there's a common thread and they're afraid of just a handful of things. Now they may manifest themselves very, very differently and they may be fighting over which seat in the car they're going to sit in and they may be, you know, ripping up somebody's homework or whatever it is, but ultimately it boils down to the same thing. So can I give you an example that we're dealing with in our own home and you can kind of help me work through this so we can kind of develop healthier habits for this child? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So 10-year-old, he struggles with perfectionism. He's very competitive. And if he knows or fears that he could be embarrassed or he could look like he's not perfect, he just has a premature meltdown. Okay, so he has a fear of, usually it's, he, it looks like embarrassment. He's like embarrassed that he's not perfect. So yeah, how, how can we work on that with him? Yeah, so um, technically you're, you're above my pay grade in terms of the age of your child. Okay. So <laughs> I, I want to have that disclaimer because I, you know, I'm, I'm more equipped with younger kids. Sure. But the first thought that I had is that if there's a way to make the meltdown a healthy response that is actually a form of accessing the body that your son can engage in prior to the point where the emotional balloon kind of bursts, that would be my go-to. So it would be something along the lines of, um, you know, okay, so uh, what's the sport in particular? Soccer. Soccer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, before the soccer game. Okay. Um, let's, let's go through two different things and it's, it's just going to be a goofy family thing. You, you miss the goal when you kick, like, you know, stomping on the ground, punching a pillow, screaming into a pillow, you know, and then also let's practice both. You get the goal and you're like, yay. Okay. (laughs) And just really creating like, okay, Like, is there a way to discharge that emotion prior to the point when that, you know, that emotional balloon is just completely full? So that's just one thing. Another would be um, coming up with a sort of like, okay, you know, let's have a game debrief. What are the things that your head always tells you if you miss the goal? I'm just picking miss a goal as as a thing, but whatever it is, what are the, you know, every game debrief. Okay, got it. So you're disappointed and your head tells you you should have gotten it. Okay. All right. So 
in, you sh- you feel like you should have gotten it, gotten that goal into the into the net, and you didn't. Okay, what do you want to do next time? All right, what do you want to tell yourself? If a friend of yours missed the goal, if mom, if I was out on the soccer field playing and I missed the goal, would you tell me that I suck, or would you tell me, you know what, mom, you know, practice time, all those things. And then also, you know, if there are other friends of his that he, you know, who miss goals and stuff too, that can be used for support. In essence, it sounds like to whatever degree the, the, you know, I think one of the things that we, we can look at is like that shadow side of perfectionism is where it gets to be like really overarching and, um, you know, it becomes the quest for the hungry ghost or to always be better. And it's like, how can we identify like, you know, hun, I think it's really great. There's a part of you that wants to get that goal so badly. What mm-hmm. else is really great is that you keep showing up. What else is really great is that you have high expectations of yourself. What else is really great is that you feel your feelings. And, you know, the other thing, too, is to leverage some of that perfectionism, um, which is a which can be a form of healthy striving when it doesn't go overboard into the broader picture. So it's not just about how do I want to show up with excellence for the actual soccer ball making it into the net. Also, how do I want to show up with excellence for myself? How do I want to show up with excellence for my team? What does it mean to really show my team that I am a great team player? So these are all components that that could be harnessed and looked at. But my first go-to is that there are feelings that are pent up. And when the meltdown happens after the game, based on the result, maybe there's a way to vent it before the game so it doesn't get so pent up. Can anybody else relate to having a strong-willed child? (laughs) Not just me? Okay, good. I want to thank our next show sponsor, and that is Highlands. At the height of cold and flu season and the coronavirus epidemic, if you're not heading to the grocery store for toilet paper, you probably also want to get Highlands to have on hand for ear pain. One of the top 10 causes of ear pain is sinus infections, and cold and flu are major contributors to sinus infections and ear pain. So don't let the ear pain keep your kids home from school unnecessarily or stop you from having a fun winter. After you've been diagnosed with an earache by a physician, reach for Highlands Earache Drops. They have natural active ingredients for earache pain relief due to cold and flu and allergy symptoms. You guys, Highlands has been a trusted brand for generations, and they provide homeopathic medicines for all members of the family. There's no alcohol and no sting when you put the eardrops in, so you can get back to doing what you love. So go to highlands.com, that's H-Y-L-A-N-D-S.com, to find a retailer near you. Highlands.com and try out their eardrops. Claims are based on traditional homeopathic practice, not accepted medical evidence, not FDA evaluated. Read and follow label instructions. Thanks so much to Highlands for sponsoring the show and helping my kids get back to school sooner. Now let's finish up with Kate. I love this idea about setting reasonable goals that he can control when he goes out to play a game. Making a goal every single time he shoots it is not a realistic expectation. But shooting the ball is a realistic expectation. Cheering on your teammates is a realistic expectation. Running as hard as you can that day is a realistic expectation. So maybe if he has like a list 
of five standards that he wants to achieve in every single game that's not measured by the number of goals or the score or anything like that, but like the actual things he can control, he will be 100% every single time. And if not, that's, that is on him and he can make a plan to make that different next time. But when, and I think this is great for adults too, like how many times do we go back over a conversation we had and we like overanalyze little things or, you know, we're disappointed in something that we've done or didn't do or whatever, but it's like, what are the standards that we hold for ourselves based upon the factors we can control, create habits around those things, um, you know, use what you talk about in the courage habit to step out with courage to, to reach those standards versus expecting all the things in the whole world to go right every single time <laughs> because that's literally the mantle that many of us put on our day every day. Yeah, and I just thought to myself too, it's like basically how can we give our kids gold stars for failure? Mm. How mm. how can we do that? You know, and and one way that I think of would be, you know, speaking of all this modeling I was talking about, would be modeling, you know, so I don't you know, I, I'm assuming since you're an entrepreneur, you've had entrepreneurial failures, launches that had crickets or didn't go mm. the way you had hoped. And it's like open conversations about, yeah, I had that. I mean, I'm raising my hand over here. Like I've had that happen for sure. Mm-hmm. It, how do we have conversations with our kids about that? Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like a thing. I was really disappointed because a thing that I was hoping for didn't happen. I'm feeling kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it happened. I think we need to be more transparent about that with our kids. So what are the gold stars for failure? Um, how can we set metrics for handling failure beautifully? And then just because sports I know are so common for kids, I'm just going to throw out there that I really love the work of CrossFit coach Ben Bergeron. Hmm. He has a podcast called uh, Chasing Excellence that you can get on iTunes. I think it's pretty kid-friendly. It, I can't recall a lot of language, but his whole thing when he trains CrossFit athletes is you only focus on the factors you can control. You cannot control how the people you're competing against are playing. You cannot control the weather. You cannot control whether or not you catch a cold right before you compete. And if that impacts performance, all you can control are, are like these set factors. And, um, you know, at 10 years old, I'd say he probably could listen to some of those podcast episodes even, or maybe we could pull out, you know, some, um, I I'm trying to think of any soccer players who are amazing, like Ronaldo, Messi, you know, Emmy SSI, um, you know, what are they, what are the quotes they have around failure? How can those be put up on the refrigerator? You know, whatever we can do to create an environment where our kids really know that, that whether or not they feel something is not going to impact um, who they are, it doesn't have to define them, that we love them anyway, and specifically that those feelings are not going to sit with them forever. I mean, isn't that really what drives depression and anxiety is we get caught in this thought loop that how we feel right now will be how we feel forever, and it's simply not true. It, Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be true. Yeah. I love that. My middle son is doing a biography report on Alex Morgan, women's soccer player Alex Morgan right now. 
she did not make her first soccer club team. She didn't make the team in ah. sixth grade. She didn't. And we were shocked to learn that. And we're like, what? Look at her now. And and the coach said, you can work with us for a year, practicing, not playing any games. And if you're good enough after a year, you can be on the team. And she worked so hard and still didn't make it a year later. Then she found another team that was willing to kind of work with her more. And the rest is history, right? So there's tons of examples. Uh, my son, the 10-year-old, watched um, Kobe's memorial yesterday on TV. And I saw in his backpack a whole page of notes of things that people said about Kobe that inspired him. And it's just so cool because you're so right. Listening to podcasts, reading books, watching YouTube documentaries, different things like that. Like there's so many different avenues where we can provide this information that life does not go perfectly for for people. And oftentimes we just see them at their pinnacle, but there's so much beneath the surface. And I think that is an incredible uh, lesson and a way that we can actually use, you know, society to our benefit and the exposure we have to our benefit as we, um, you know, seek that out. So, yeah, I love that. I really recommend everyone pick up The Courage Habit. And all of us deal with fear in one way or another. And whether you feel like it's really ruling your life or there's just some areas that could use some new healthier habits surrounding them so that you can live an even better, more full more courageous life. I just think that's a beautiful pursuit. But where can people find you online if they want to find out more? Well, I'm at yourcourageouslife.com. I run the Courageous Living Coach certification at team, T-E-A-M, C-L-C-C.com. So it's team, C-L-C-C.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm on most social media platforms as Kate Courageous, except for Facebook, where I'm your courageous life. Perfect. Well, Kate, this has been such an inspiring conversation. I'm so excited to share with my kids what we talked about today. And I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Hmm. Oh, such a good question. Probably that, um, well, I think I, I think I learned this gradually. So I would probably love to just start from the beginning saying (laughs) to myself, you know, Kate, if you actually believe that love is more powerful than fear right now is a beautiful time to start trusting that and living that. Um, cause I think it was definitely a journey to really go, okay, like if I don't breastfeed, if I don't co-sleep, if I parent in this way that might be different than my friends, um, my daughter's going to be okay because at her core, she is love. And I trust in that love more than I am going to hook an anchor to some fear-based thought about what if something's wrong or, you know, it just would have really been okay. Go ahead and sink into the love. Mm. I love that so much. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for coming on today and sharing all about courage. I hope that we can all go out and be a little bit more courageous today. And if it doesn't just, you know, it's not flipping a switch. It's looking at the things where fear is holding you back and identifying what's the habit that I can change in order to, to better serve me in this way, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Love it. Thanks, Kate. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Are you feeling more courageous? (laughs) Can you identify one area of your life 
where you could use a little bit more courage. You could implement the process of developing more habits around courage in order to step out and being the type of person that you truly want to be and truly are within you or achieving the goals that you want to set for yourself, but you haven't just gone for it because you've been too nervous, right? Don't let fear hold you back. Address it head on and you'll be astonished at what you can accomplish. If this topic interests you, definitely pick up The Courage Habit by Kate Swoboda. Everything that we talked about is linked over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here today and I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.